How's it going, everyone? Joe Gagne here, welcoming you to edition 81 of Joe vs. the World. Joining me, as often, is the host of the Justin Shapiro Show and the man who ran in during the Shield Wives match at Night of Champions, calling from prison, Justin Shapiro. Justin, how you doing? Hey, these, uh, it's just that phone through the glass wall, so I hope <laughs> I come in okay. You actually are... Uh, Mutual friend Alan did not see Night of Champions and asked people to recap it in haiku and limerick form. You wrote a limerick. Would you care to read it, or would you care for me to read it? Do I have it memorized? Well, I'd love to see your flourish, but I'm also wonder if I know it. Um, I'd hate to blow any of the because it's so much of it is timing based. Why don't you go ahead? All right, I have it right here. <clears throat> sure. The partner of Roman and Dean from the audience came on the scene, though he was ejected. In Shield Men Dejected, he made Strowman second most green. <laughs> I want to put that in a frisbee and throw it out to the listening audience. Um, and I am not stalling to find yours at all. <laughs> um, God, so many people messing up the timing. Yeah, anyway, it was, it was great. I'll read... Uh, my haiku. I'll read the corrected version. I'm No, I will. I found <laughs> Here we go. This was yours, and you took a more uh, overarching approach. <clears throat> Gong. Good in-ring action. Maybe the last stand of Sting, Kane left standing tall. I think that sums it up. Makes me feel so spiritual. <laughs> it has a real calming influence. Good. Now, if I could revise mine, I might say, though he was objected, no shield man objected. Oh. Not I... quite uh, the identical rhyme, but also maybe tells the story of this gentleman, who is me, a little bit more. Uh, but, you know, what it goes down in, in the canon is what I put originally, and I'm good with that. But it should be shield man word to I think it works. Yeah, yeah it works fine. Yeah, and your original one worked too, Joe. Don't let the the critics and the haters who've never written a work of art like ours <laughs> make us second-guess ourselves. That's very true. All right, are you ready to delve back into 1996? A hot topic. Yes. On the Let's start recording the show now. Okay. <laughs> I noticed um, this is, this, these subjects are being discussed everywhere. I know What happened? Brian and Vinny are doing weekly recaps. This is what got me off my duff so I could beat them to the punch because I didn't want to be overlapping with them. I think it's this stuff first. I know Left's fan is doing Survivor Series 1996 coming up. And even, Haven't they done enough? Even you, Justin, on Alan with Alan and Amo, did a, a lengthy recap of uh, New Diesel and uh, Razor. So I'm oh, listening and thinking, no, save that. that. you got to save that. Because you are a franchise, though, and I kind of took our movie review bit, which we invented, <laughs> talking <laughs> yes, about a movie. discussing films. Mystery Science Theater, of any number following that, was actually inspired by us, because we were, we remember back in the writer's room for that show when we were <laughs> making the little Shadow Man's jokes up? Yeah. So, but then when podcasting became a thing with the Ricky Gervais show, and you were like, what if we took our own bit, and like, maybe did it with some wrestling movies? And it, it caught on huge, and, and look at us now, so... Um, but yeah, all the people out there, of course, Serial has done, uh, completely ripped off our investigation of the Snooka murders and made their own podcast series, and uh, it hurts, but you know, we're still standing on top of the mountain. Okay, do what you can. 
Do you feel like when you and me go out to do our different projects, me with my award-adjacent podcast and other appearances, and then you doing the video game thing, pretty much you've sold out convention halls in August, from what I remember. Uh, we'll go with that, sure. <laughs> then And then when we when we bring it back together three or four times a year, it's like the big Avengers reunion, where we put, we put all the chess pieces on the board and let it fly in a huge adventure. That, uh, yeah, that fits. That fits. That's what's about to happen right now. Okay. Are you ready to dive into October? Well, I will tell you one story that happened during the Avengers movie. And, (laughs) um, so the part when I think Ultron, the monstrous robot, uh, madman, was, uh, he was trying to make his vibranium body that ultimately became the heroic vision, uh, but then I think uh, the Scarlet Witch touches it and has a vision of nuclear bombs, explosions, and the end of the world. And when it cut to those catastrophic visions, uh, the no pun intended, the power went out in the Lowe's uh, theater that I was in, and it was total darkness for one second. And then I said, "It worked," <laughs> and everyone laughed. Oh, you really brought down the theater. So you and I are the Avengers. Let's go. Uh, I will add that I have not seen that film. Well, I did see Avenger, oh, Marvel Universe Live, I should say, which is essentially the Avengers. Which um, on ice? Uh, not quite. On basi- basically dirt bikes because everyone <laughs> Marvel Universe, Wolverine, Bruce Banner, Captain America, the Red Skull. The Red Skull uh, did a cool trick and got the oohs and ahs and cheers from the audience. Oh, <laughs> this man is a Nazi, seems- kids. Don't know. <laughs> Some Seth Rollins stuff about <laughs> doing your flashy up. That was uh Wouldn't it be so did anyone get accidentally consumed by flames <laughs> and you thought it was the ghost rider, aka Jonathan Blaze? No, um the one guy who caught on fire was supposed to. I was uh somewhat lacking in my Marvel mythology, but someone who the man behind uh advanced idea mechanics, the evil creation. Ah. Um, I guess he was uh, he was a man in a suit who I guess was cybernetically enhanced, but it, for all the world just looked like a dude in middle management fighting Iron Man, which made <laughs> curious. Oh, by the uh, the strikes are terrible on this show. Too much daylight just didn't. Uh, yeah, need to tighten things uh, up a bit. Yeah, didn't Crash Holly get hired from taking like a bump off a motorcycle? <laughs> Is Aaron O'Grady days? That could be yes. Possibly from from Victor Grimes, the late. Keymaster. <laughs> Not quite. But that's a story for three years from now. Yes. Maybe literally. All right, we should dive into... Uh, we'll start with the uh, the Raw After Mind Games. This was a, a loaded show. It kicked off with the finals of the Intercontinental Title Tournament. Uh, Farouk versus the Marvelous One, Mark Merrow. Or the Wild Man, I should say. Pat Patterson was the ref, because he was the first IC champ. And uh, Perfect was also out there, helping out Merrow. And uh, Sonny interfered early on. Patterson threw her out, but she just came back. Had a loaded purse. Murrow ended up with it. Clonked Farouk. Hit the shooting star press for the win. Uh, Dave Meltzer, mutual friend, was uh, saying Murrow was going to be a transitional champion, which proved uh, quite true. And uh, Sonny and Farouk broke up soon afterwards, but they remained on good terms, which was good to see. Yeah. they. Uh, we've done that trope about the... A white woman managing a black man so many times that I don't want to lose the original genesis of it being a parody of Southern thinking, but uh, it is a funny concept that she gets so much heat 
as we all know, for getting to hang out with a cool African-American man. Probably too much heat, that's why they... And they stayed friends afterwards. They did? So, yeah. You can see it was set up as a Sable versus Sunny feud, which then was never really programmed that I can remember after that, except behind the curtain. Well, also the Karate Fighters tournament, but we'll get to that in a bit. <laughs> uh, playing off ECW involvement from the night before, Taz was in a... Taz was in the crowd with a sign saying, Sabu fears Taz, presumably not the one who hosts the morning <laughs> drive-time wrestling show. <laughs> but the mean one back in the day. He was very mean, frowning all the time. <laughs> and then it was time for the big return of Diesel and Razor. But first, Jim Ross cut a promo in the ring. He talked about how he had no loyalty to the WWF, detailed how he left the job with the Atlanta Falcons to call WrestleMania in a damn toga, Vince was jealous of his talents. He had talked about having Bill's palsy getting fired, coming back for dimes on the dollar. He seemed to take credit for everyone leaving the company and then brought out Razor Ramon, who was not Scott Hall. It was Rick Bogner in the gimmick. The announcers pointed it out right away. They weren't trying to fool anyone. Savio attacked him, and then the next week we had the, de- the uh, debut of Diesel, who was Glenn Jacobs and shitty gimmick number two. So, yeah. I have to say, uh, Ross cut a uh, hell of a promo here. It was kind of... I mean... I don't think anyone really wanted to boo Jim Ross at that point, but um, they, kind of, they kind of dropped, like, he was feuding with McMahon, and then they just kind of went, kind of dropped that as the months went on, but he's still rooted for fake uh, Razor and Diesel. But uh, what were you making of all this at the time? It was fairly bizarre. I took him at his word when he said that, uh, we probably talked about this last time when he made the first announcement, I was just like, oh, well, that's confusing, because there's no way he wouldn't say this and then have it not be true. And then uh, he did. Um, I don't know how many on the on the timeline of 1993 to present. It was not the first time Jim Ross was egregiously mistreated because he had all the content to reference in this promo. It is the first time they turned it into a TV angle, which we will see repeat itself. I think the only other time he was turned heel, though, was with that Rise JR Dr. Death thing three years from now. But um, Jim Ross is like real life um, struggles and uh, personality conflicts will be an ongoing uh, theme for the rest of WWE <laughs> recorded history. And um, re- being um, obligated by the state as you are to review his podcast as you are all podcasts, do you maybe understand a desire to tweak Jim Ross a little bit more than you did when he was uh, just the best announcer in wrestling and our friend chiming in every week? Yeah, kind of that seems to be a common theme of people who routinely listen like I kind of get it, yeah, why he got treated that way. Right, it's still made for terrible television and he still should have been the announcer all the time but I see (laughs) I understand a bit better (laughs) All right, so, um, yeah, no one knew Ross was going to cut the promo except for Jerry Lawler, who had to uh, react accordingly, so poor Kevin Kelly just sat there while Jim Ross went apeshit on uh, on the mic. How did he react accordingly? Because I have done no preparation as per our agreement, and I assume his reaction was just going, what? Uh, I think he was, uh, so he would have the appropriate heel reaction, since that would, uh, what Ross was going to be, and not be like, this man's out of his mind. Ah, I see, I see. And uh, Savio knew, of course, too, because he had to take part in the angle, so. Of course. Uh, last show, we had detailed the Triple H-Mr. Perfect feud. 
as Perfect Kick comes down. Can't wait for that match. Comes out the ringside, stealing his valets, and Helmsley had enough. He challenged Perfect to a match, not on the pay per view, but the Raw after, buried alive. And uh, it's worth noting uh, all this. Like this was a loaded show, and they lost in the ratings to Nitro. A common theme we'll be discussing in the years to come. And I, I seem to remember this was the first show people were like. Huh, like they really stacked the card as in like holding things off the pay-per-view that they could have been on there, and they still didn't do well. And people are like, hmm, that could be troubling. And I know a, uh, a uh, Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels match, I think did like a 1.8 rating, something comically low. <laughs> so these were uh, bad signs, we shall say. Mm, yeah, a couple guys who can't draw. I've heard, though which may have been confirmed as part of your state-mandated duty to listen to all podcasts, that uh, they had their best matches on house shows. And uh, his super kick was very snug to Steve Austin's face. <laughs> he was staring at the lights. At <laughs> yeah, I, were, there were, I remember lots of videos with Mr. Perfect's orchestral music playing behind them, really hyping up the uh, return of Mr. Perfect. And I would say it's a pattern of bullshit, on the heels of that diesel um, razor thing, but and now I'm panicking as part of my no research. But I think when they were they were hyping them, they did think he was going to wrestle in a match. No spoilers. Well, yes, we will. Okay, that in a bit. Uh, on the October 14th Raw, we were purported to get a Jake Roberts Jerry Lawler match, but when Jake the rematch made his entrance, he was in no condition to perform, including carrying a bottle in a little brown bag as a subtle clue. Now, to the <laughs> credit... Tiny snakes? <laughs> no. To the uh, WBF's credit, the ref was having none of this, and Gorilla Monsoon came out as well. But it was all a ruse, as Jake was just faking. He DDT Lawler immediately, pins him, pours alcohol on him, and drapes his snake over him. So a victory for those recovering from uh, substance abuse. And uh, Take that teetotaling heel, Jerry Lawler. <laughs> what if they had a reversed feud where... Um, Jerry Lawler was like a fast food addict. And Jake Snake was like, you can have a heart attack. Your arteries are so engorged <laughs> by bad cholesterol, not the good one. What's your lipid count, man? <laughs> so, um, with Lawler, come out for a match, maybe be in a food coma, but then fake and hit the power driver. <laughs> Stuff a hamburger down uh, Jake's throat. Yep. True justice. Staggering around with uh, working his high blood sugar. <laughs> There's probably going to be a lot more like diabetes and cholesterol jokes as we age into this podcast, don't you think? It could be. Uh, Vader scored a pin on Shawn Michaels during a mixed tag on Raw, as it was Vader and Jim Cornette versus Shawn and Jose Lothario. Vader pinning Shawn after Jose chased Cornette to the back, and this was going to go somewhere at some point, but didn't end up meaning anything. Yeah, it was going to set up a Surviving Series title match, right? Uh, yes. In theory. In theory. Right. Uh, Didn't quite get there. We get I keep tipping my hand on all the big revelations <laughs> you're going to make, sorry. Thankfully, they're all this episode, so I don't feel too bad about spoilers. Right. Uh, we got the debut of Livewire, which was a weekly interactive show where they would read... Is Marissa there yet? <laughs> no, not yet. They would read emails... Tell me when Marissa is there. <laughs> uh, faxes and take calls, and uh, some famous calls were uh, Paul Heyman calling in as Bruce from Connecticut, but uh, not swearing, so, you know, he meant business. And the uh, <laughs> concept of the Nation of Domination, more on that later, debuted on the show, and... Um, the show was around until 2001, was hosted by various people, including Shane Perez, future wife, yes, 
And uh, Ooh, baby. it did end up uh, switching to a recap show, which was the fate of most shows that debuted around this time. Were you ever a, a watcher of Livewire, or was this just bullshit? Uh, I was sleeping in so late on those Saturdays, I'll tell you what. Not even the promise of Bruce from Connecticut. Sonny's brother-in-law, <laughs> if you do the math. But, uh, I mean, Saturday morning wrestling, that was uh, a thing at the time. Yes, 11 a.m. I could do... I feel like Livewire was a little earlier, though. I was in college at the time and in no mood to uh, <laughs> either get up or basically spend my Saturday mornings. With this. Precisely. Uh, one note from The Observer. On the Livewire show a few weeks back when Ahmed Johnson was on, a caller who said he was black asked about racism in the WWF, and Johnson said there wasn't any. It was actually a setup call as the caller was Kevin Dunn, a white producer of the show. <laughs> asked and answered. <laughs> hey, what's really important is Ahmed said uh, no racism, so. Right. It's that simple. Hey, remember uh, Jeff Jarrett, that concert he did in your house? Spend my day working. Yeah. Uh, if you didn't, because it was 15 months ago, well, don't worry. We finally figured out what happened. It was. Uh, <laughs> and we're just going to loop in our coverage of that right here. And we're back. <laughs> it was. Um, at the speed of the Flategate investigation, uh, they figured out it was actually Jarrett's roadie, Jesse James, with a real double J, who was doing the singing. And we got lots of vignettes with uh, James in the studio with Jim Johnson, explaining how he was a lowly singer in a dive bar. Jarrett discovered him, said he could take him all over the world. It was actually James singing a song, and Jarrett fled before he could be revealed as a fraud. Also, the roadie was in Desert Storm. And, uh, in case you're wondering who would possibly care after over a year... It's because Jarrett was about to debut in WCW, and um, Rhodey was non-charismatic here. And how many guys have we seen debut who went on to be big deals in the Attitude Era, but had to completely scrap the gimmick they came came in with? I, I mean, like a tweak here or there. I mean, like completely redone. I guess everyone in DX, right? <laughs> I mean, the the Sultan and the Ringmaster and uh, Mr. Maivia, who we'll get to in a sec. It's just like, holy shit. Too much. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So, uh, yeah, were you pumped for the real Jesse James, this um, chunky <laughs> guy? <laughs> Been waiting for a long, long time to, to hear about this, and um, I guess it seemed kind of glaring in, in hindsight. Uh, I think we... We must have made the point at the time that the idea that, that Jarrett quit the territory over the idea that his uh, his gimmick would be killed if he was exposed as not the real singer is kind of humorous. I suppose so, yes. And, um, I mean, granted, he was also losing a match and being revealed as a singing fraud at the same time, but uh, it's just, he could, I think he would have gotten, like, you lip-synced chance to the tune of uh, You Tapped Out? What's the past tense of sync? Today it would be a... Uh, you lip sank. Yeah, it would be you lip sank. <laughs> lip sank. But, um, yeah, I think he would have been okay. Probably better off than, you know, hanging out in Memphis for uh, for a year or so. But Yes, if Jeff was in the WWF from 1996 until the moment he was paired up with Deborah's or tripled up with Deborah's boots, then <laughs> nothing would have been different. I think history, this this has not come up on the What If show I did with uh, <laughs> your friend Matt Feuerstein. Now, um, and we, we should clarify every time we say James, between Jesse Jemez, with two M's in it, that's an important yes. distinction, because he had he needed more double letters so he could steal the double <laughs> catchphrase. Right. 
That's J E double S, probably double E. J A double M E double S. Like a Jesse James. And then the other James, A. Johnston. I wish, oh, Joe, if there was one thing I could change in my rewriting reality podcast, it would be that you had seen his emergence in Star Turn after all these years on a, in an episode of Total Divers where uh, Nikki Bella went to record her theme song in Johnston Studios and James fucking flipped out <laughs> over how bad she was. He was, like, beyond exasperated. Oh, my. If you've ever wondered, if you've ever seen, like, those in-depth documentaries of James being like, when I wrote... Graveyard Symphony for The Undertaker. <laughs> I was thinking, no. Well, well, let's have a candid performance of it. Just right here with me on a minor key piano. But, um, yeah, he... I don't know whether he was performing or whether it was just natural, but either way, it was absolute brilliance because he said so many things under his breath and so many things when he stormed back into <laughs> uh, the non-performing part of the studio and was just like, what the... F- and he was singing to her, and he was laying down the lyrics in a sultry voice and making it sexy. And then he asked Nikki to sing it more sexily, and then Nikki started doing like a sexy sway with her body, but the exact same voice. <laughs> so, um, but then the coup de grace of it all was when the the jack of all everything, Renee Young, who had accompanied Nikki for moral support. And I think as a soft launch of hopefully her being a future cast member, we should be so also lucky. But so then, then he just said, as an interstitial little piece of footage, Renee was sitting by herself in the corner bored, and then she was humming the Bella's music and doing it in like such a better singing voice than uh, Nikki Bella by a long shot. And then it cut immediately away. And that's why Total Divas is the best show in wrestling. Fuck off, Lucha Underground. <laughs> so was um, this hidden talent realized, and uh, they put Renee in there to sing a song, which pissed off Nikki, or no? Nope, oh, it it just, just like I think it was just like divine, the blessing of found footage. She was just over by herself, and um, they cut it in perfectly. And she went like out of boredom, and it was amazing. Best editing in the biz. You remember, like, Paul Heyman and how it put together ECW in his basement? Yep. That's, like, the same magic and Quicksilver at play. Okay. All right. Well, I'm glad I got that out. All right. Uh, do you remember um, James actually sang his uh, theme song as he came to the ring, which is okay, <laughs> yeah. but it's it's this, like, romantic country thing, so I don't – This he, it didn't work too well for him. It was to prove it every time. I guess. Like holding up a newspaper. <laughs> to prove the day. Mm-hmm. Do we do Well, my hands on the clock keep spinning too slow. I got to test out with this new microphone I have. Again, courtesy of the good people at the Blackwater Corporation, the things they did were not actually that bad. They're cool dudes. <laughs> okay. Um, hey, the... Turn the lights to close the... <clears throat> I didn't have... Uh, the WWF drew one of the lowest Madison Square Garden attendances of all time, first announced in the Observer at 3,917, later corrected to 6,747, although I don't know if that uh, 3,000 number was just paid or what. But either way, around the lowest in 40 years, and uh, they weren't syndicating anymore, so no more localized promos. WCW, in comparison, broke their all-time gate record at Halloween Havoc, although it was only 224,000, which seems really low, but that's... Uh, that's how it goes. And that, the main event was uh, Sean and The Undertaker defeating Mankind and Goldust when 
Michael's pinned Goldust with the super kick after kissing him. So don't know why that didn't pack him in, but there you go. <laughs> hmm. Yes, um, if I remember my observer charts, um, the combo of Brett as champion, or what you know, whatever you want to interpret, interpret depending on whose dog you have in the fight, Michael's comeback at the Royal Rumble and Brett getting the title... Um, turned around houses for the first time in four years, but by the end of the year they started slipping again, which was also around the time that uh, then the plans were made to take the belt off Shawn Michaels, at least temporarily, and call Brett back to the rescue. That's right. Uh, I guess we'll get into the the next uh, pay-per-view in your house, 11, Buried Alive. Not a, um, not a lot of build on the TV to this show. It was just they announced the Buried Alive match on the... <laughs> Mind Games pay-per-view, and they just had, you know, Undertaker in a graveyard, digging a grave, true to form. Uh, Sid and Vader were kind of arguing who had the best power bomb, and then uh, we just had a bunch of other matches. So the emphasis is really on Raw the next night, which is going to have Brett's return and Perfect versus Triple H. And the um, show stuff isn't bad. Like, just nothing happened, and uh, two matches ended up being changed. And I like it's one of those shows if they left it off the network, I don't think they, anyone really know. <laughs> but this was actually the first pay per view ever where there was an active WWF champion who did not compete on the show, although Sean did commentary. And uh, I guess he had main evented every show since Mania. They figured they had a pretty strong match at Undertaker Mankind, so they would go with something new. Why he wasn't on the show at all? I mean, he wrestled in a dark match, but not on the pay per view. I don't know why they didn't have him do anything, but why not? Not my. Uh, not my company. Yes, they did that with Brett the year before when he would take a show off because they were only two hours and, you know, they were a, a mini version of a pay-per-view. But he wasn't the, the championship of the world yeah. at the time. Like, you could have had a Brett versus Hakushi match. Sure. And then you would have had a better show. But here, you would have had... And, like, gold does fit the mold of, like, a disposable monthly uh, in-your-house challenger, mm. too. Sid, Sid and Vader, though, that's the Starcade 93 main event. That's... Yeah, well... Would have been. Why? <laughs> right, what happened? Uh, <laughs> uh, Sid stabbed Arn with scissors, so they didn't want. Him what? To, yeah, we'll actually get in. We'll actually reference that in a little bit. Huh. Uh, the focus was on the buried alive match, where there is a graveyard set up with a, a grave already dug. Thankfully, and you have to throw your opponent in, cover them with dirt. Do you know how many um, buried alive matches there have been in company history, including this one? <sighs> Now wait a minute. Undertaker versus Vince, of course, is very buried alive. The Rock and Sock Connection versus um, uh, Big Show and the Undertaker, aka the Team of Armageddon, is one. And um, picturing the dirt and the oh, wasn't Steve Austin taking bumps with a cut up back in the in the dirty, dirty dirt at uh, December '98? Rock bottom, and that's all of them. Let me or see. No, there probably been some dumb fuck ones in the new times, but those are all the ones I remember. <laughs> there were only five in the um. Oh, what I missed. Uh, I'm trying to look it up right now. My computer. Wait, I know. Wait. Oh God. Um. Nope, I don't know. I was just thinking of The Rock doing his funeral to Dear Dear Trailer Park Trash. I am looking it up. Undertaker has been in all of them. He is only, I believe, two and three. Yes, he's only two and three in them right now. I'm trying to. Oh, oh, um, um, um. It was from New Times. Wasn't it was like 2010, I want to say. 
the 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 dang Nexus buried Undertaker. Oh, that's know. right. It was um, Kane versus the Undertaker with the Nexus pin in, <laughs> and you had you had the uh, this one not until 1998 Stone Cold and the Undertaker. In '99, we had Undertaker and Big Show against Rock and Sock. Uh, Vince and the Undertaker in 2003, and Kane and the Undertaker in 2010. Nothing since. Vince bled quite a lot. As uh, so it goes, yes. He was like block, block, block. <laughs> and Undertaker. He just gigged himself. That's an industry term. Okay. And then a, a good thing about that period alive. Uh, 2003 match was Kane ran in uh, six days after he had a lovely Italian dinner with Shane McMahon. <laughs> That's right. Anywho, um, I give Undertaker credit. He has uh, two gimmick matches based around his character: casket match and buried alive. And they actually ran body bag matches in 1991 on house shows. So I guess that's three. And yeah. The, uh, what about the biker chain match? <laughs> Uh, the match itself is tricky because guys are fighting in the ring and you know it, it can't end until they're by the graveyard and someone goes in. That said, the brawling was very good and, you know, Mankind took big bumps. Taker did a couple dives and um, Mankind was using some kind of foreign object and Vince is upset even though it's no holds barred. Basically, Taker slams Mankind in, tosses dirt on him, he wins. But then Terry Gordy, How you do under a mask as the executioner, attacks the Undertaker, he digs up Mankind, both of them toss Undertaker in and start burying him. And then uh, Triple H, Goldust, and Crush join in. I don't know why Crush cares, but uh, they're burying him. The lights flicker. Lightning strikes. Everyone runs off. We see a purple glove coming up out of the ground to end the show. And I presume Undertaker climbed out the rest of the way, Craven's Last Hunt style. So um, <laughs> there you go. Maybe it was Maven's last hunt. <laughs> When he came for revenge on Undertaker for throwing him into that popcorn <laughs> after he... But that was... Undertaker just did that in retaliation for um, Maven el- eliminating him. Yes, I suppose it's tit for tat. Maven's last <laughs> <laughs> Worth it, right um, there. Love it. I, um... Huh. Yeah, how do you get heat in a Buried Alive match? Because all you can do is fight, and then, like, you can't kick out at two-thirds of the dirt. <laughs> um, so it is really, like, a thing, and then you do your, what's well, usually uh, an industry term, a, a buck finish, and then you drop the dirt on him. And it's not even, like, because then the, the man will do, like, three scoops of a shovel and be like, that'll do, all right, bring in the, the bulldozer. <laughs> yes. Underneath that was Sin Vader. Again, with the idea they were feuding over who had the better power bomb. Uh, this was for a shot at Survivor. Two, two masters of the power bomb. Yes, indeed. Uh, also for a title shot at Survivor Series, so Sean did commentary here. Sid was terrible here, and I swear he spent half the match on the floor, though. Sadly, there were no Sid is sleeping chance. But, uh, <laughs> Vader had the win, but pulled Sid up like a champ. He went for a power bomb. Uh, Sid did. Stopped to crush Jim Cornette on the ropes allowing Vader to low-blow Sid, but Sid just hit a choke slam for the win. So, who had the better power bomb? We don't know. But uh, mm-hmm. Sid and Sean were all buddy-buddy post-match. All well, hail, well-met, good fellow. Remember when the big executioner, Kevin Nash, <laughs> and Sid had a power bomb match at uh, Starcade 99, and then Nash won by telling the referee <laughs> he did a power bomb during a ref bump? I do indeed. That's how you work a fan. That's right. It'd be like if he just told the referee he buried him alive. 
<laughs> he was. He was covered. There were piles and piles of dirt on top of him. I did it. How did you do it's a great finish. I'm surprised more people don't do it that way. Just tell the ref. The mm-hmm. stipulation that occurred. I touched all four corners. <laughs> anyway. I got the biker chain and I bonked him with it. <laughs> you know, it's the 10-year anniversary of Undertaker and Lesnar and Hell in a Cell. Or, well, that's not true. No, that it's was a 12-year anniversary. Wait, 13-year anniversary. Um, but it's also the 12-year anniversary of their biker chain match. Oh. Doubt that'll come up. I don't even know if the original Hell in a Cell will come up. Could be for the first time ever. Oh, yeah, one of those. Playing with history. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Steve Austin was supposed to wrestle Savio Vega, but he got hurt, so they stuck in Triple H. And uh, They went long, about 15 minutes, but the real story here was Jim Ross. His mic kept cutting out. He's yelling at Vince. Someone comes out to fix it. It's a little distracting, and if uh, that wasn't enough, Mr. Perfect comes out to take away Hunter's girl, gets into it with Austin, and Austin went on to hit the stunner for the win. Dave Melter notes, Austin seems to be getting over as a face as the swearing, flipping-off character. Ha! Huh. It's funny that, well, for one, it's Heel Heel, which is crazy bizarre. It's also funny that it's those two guys in their no-stages-of-hell match. <laughs> and, um, but perhaps most fitting is this passion play playing out for Jim Ross as this match goes on between, like, his avatar, Steve Austin, his best friend and cowboy hero, John Wayne <laughs> incarnate, against uh, the prick son of Vince McMahon who would half-blind him in his eye eventually. <laughs> that's true. Wow, that's really addressing it on a level I hadn't uh, considered. Mm-hmm. Huh. Anyway. That's why we're better than Siri. <laughs> uh, Bulldog and Owen beat the smoking guns. Not much to it. Guns were headed for their breakup. And uh, Mero beat Goldust, because Farouk got hurt, too. And uh, it was okay. Mero looked to get hurt, finished the match. Perfect got involved again, interfering when the ref got bumped, fighting Triple H when he came out again. Mero hit the shooting star press. Everyone celebrated. Yay. And this was a, um, like I said, not not bad. Not even really boring. Just not, not a lot. And, uh, you know, maybe check out the Bear to Live match. That's all I can really recommend, unless you... Badly need something you've never seen before. You already watched JBL interview show. And there was also valet feud between Sable and Marlene, I believe, where they were like, ooh, I'm (laughs) quasi-bisexual in a weird, implicit 1996 version of sexuality and titillation. Yes, very true. All right, on to uh, November, late October, depending how you parse this out. Um, yeah, the Raw the next night was way more noteworthy than this show. The big news was the return of Bret Hart to give an interview, and they acted like they didn't know what his announcement would be. Bret talked about how he'd gotten a great deal from a rival wrestling promotion. They dealt with him with integrity and in an honorable fashion. All the while, you hear Vince say, oh, I can't believe this is happening, and, like, hang his head. Like, he didn't know what was, ha- what was going to occur. But the hitman said the WWF was his home. He'd be there for life. He accepted the challenge of Steve Austin for Survivor Series. He also said he lost clean to Sean. He respects him, doesn't like him. Also talked about his nephew that uh, passed away and how he promised he'd return. Um, great, really great. Like I don't want to hear about Bret Hart not being good on the mic because he was great here. And this probably kicked off his best 12 months he ever had with the company. Oh, absolutely. And Vince is a great Vince McMahon here. Where he was... <laughs> So despondent, and then when Brett does it, he's like, yeah, yeah, so happy. (laughs) 
Now, as far as what really happened... Which was strange, because Vince McMahon is a wrestling announcer, so why, why was he so... Why was he so, yeah. Well, uh, Jim Ross kind of broke down that barrier, I think. I guess that's true. We would, we would understand the implications. As far as what really happened, Brett didn't make up his mind until maybe the day before. I know WCW offered him $2.8 million a year over three years and some kind of movie deal with Turner, and I think he... WWF deal was slightly less than $3 million per year for three years, and a lesser amount for 17 years as a non-contracted performer. So three more years, and then he works the office. That's why he said he would be there for life. There was also talk of Hogan and Savage might being back in the Federation in 1997. Maybe Hart could get his elusive win over Hogan, which turned out to not happen. So there was a lot of, uh, a lot of machinations here. Surely Brett will be there. Everything is cool. So, uh, yeah, we can look forward to that. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, <laughs> that's settled. I do wonder if this had been honored somehow. Like Brett would, uh, would he be approaching the end of his twenty-year deal soon? Oh yep. wow! On it amazingly to see that Think winding down. I don't know. Mark Henry's and Big Show's contracts seem to get extended indefinitely, so I don't. Know. I don't think this is a Bram situation where he gets. <laughs> there are also like periods of belt tightening where you can see the the prick company like accidentally canceling his contract in an administrative oversight and being like, oops, we fired Brett. Sorry. <laughs> screwed. You know. So you get him screwed no matter what. <laughs> It'd be a great episode of Swerved. Confidential. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So imagine for your listen and learn countdown, what if Bret Hart had taken the deal in 1996 and gone on to star in the TNT original movie, First Daughter, instead of Diamond <laughs> Dallas Page. Oh, God, I hear about DDP's acting exploits today. <laughs> I heard about that, how he was basically great at it, and there were some things he wasn't good at, and then, but oh. so then he eventually became really great at them. Great. Like, he was naturally very good at it, um, and he, he was good at it, but there were parts where he struggled, although not for very long. And while he was struggling, there were signs that he was really good at it. But then in the long run, he was actually quite good at it. Would you care to guest write the uh, pod mask call this week? Because I feel <laughs> you really nailed the essence there of the interview. Uh, anyway, uh, not all was rosy because Roddy Piper turned down Jamal? the WWF offer, debuted with WCW at Halloween Havoc. And uh, basically... Whenever Piper had wrestled for the last eh, dozen years or so, it had been with the WWF. So what did you make of, uh, of Piper being there? Did you think, this man is too old? Or uh, <laughs> did you think, wow, that's... I did, yeah. yes, because by the time we hit the Lawler feud with the Piper Cito guy, and <laughs> I was like, oh, I didn't really consider Roddy Piper a guy anymore when he was going toe-to-toe with Jerry Lawler and such. <laughs> Um, and then very soon he'd be pinning or sleeping Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I'm sorry, I understand the reference. It's just a funny visual at first. Uh, just, wait, I, you know, I forgot Roddy Piper's dead. Holy shit. And, um, yeah, he went on to headline Stargate that year, which was, uh, yes. and did good business. It, uh, it's worth noting. Massive. Things went poorly rather quickly, but for the time, you know, <laughs> Roddy Piper. Yeah, when now Sting Starcade '97 was of course huge, but when people bone her out so hard of it, I don't really know that they also consider that Hogan versus Piper and Hogan versus Savage 
uh, and some of those age in the cages were doing Boku Dolores even before that. Yeah, that's um, interesting there, all those, all those guys, although this is not where the big boys play, so we will keep our WCW talk to a minimum. What, wheelchair wrestling? <laughs> Man, age in the cage, wheelchair wrestling, you're hitting them hard. Ha! Yep. Um... Yeah, Piper in that Halloween Havoc promo. And I thought we were supposed to be covering anything the NWO did. I suppose it is um, very valid. Invading from from up north. Another I found weird was, like, Jarrett and then Piper invaded from the WWF, but they did not join the renegade NWO organization. They fought for the side of WCW. Which, with Piper, at least, makes sense with the Carolina connection and all that. But with Jarrett, it was just like, why don't you just go in the NWO? <laughs> we'll eventually... No, he had to fight into the horseman in a way, in that yep. scintillating. Although he ended up in the, the NWO eventually. Yes. All right. And the band. That's right. Uh, also on the show, we had the, the perfect Triple H showdown. But as Mr. Perfect was warming up, Triple H ran him over with one of those rolling cart things. When mm. it was time for the match, Perfect hobbled out. Gorilla Monsoon said he was not medically cleared. But Perfect had an idea. Why not have his good friend Mark Merrow take his place? He'll even defend the Intercontinental title. Can you guess what happened, Justin? This is highly suspect logic. Why not just... I don't... They would have to redrop contracts, get the Intercontinental <laughs> Championship Committee to approve it. None of it makes sense. It was, uh... The bureaucracy was at a minimal, and they approved it, and the ref got bumped, and Triple H grabbed the chair. But Mr. Perfect came in, grabbed the chair himself, and waffled Mark Merrow. Pedigree and a new champion. That's why he's the game. Cerebrally assassinated. He was. Now, but deal. Joe, I think this was the perfect trick or something like that. It wasn't a crime? Yeah, yeah. They didn't really break the law, I guess. Just the. Anyway. It's always funny, like, <laughs> why'd Perfect have to grab the chair? Why didn't he just let Triple H waffle Mark Merrow, I guess? <laughs> I guess just to stick it to him. In the John Stewart school of needless drama. <laughs> you know, I, I have to point out that Stewart did a bad job when he ran in, and then he's looking at, he's acting like he's going to hit Cena, which contextually made no sense. Why would he do that? And not that you couldn't figure out what was going to happen, but still, I thought, you know, kind of a bad job from someone so schooled. Yes, yeah, he like knocked everything else he did out of the park, yeah. including Seth Rollins' testicles. <laughs> Um, so it was weird because it was like, no, there is no decision here. When you do that, you're like Roddy Piper, WrestleMania 19, being like, who should I do? Mm, surprise. Um, but uh, now you want to know what was incredible booking of a Royal Rumble. We've had these ass-terrible, butt-stinking Royal Rumbles the last two years. I'll tell you who put a Royal Rumble together was the last John Stewart episode of The Daily Show. That's they true. peaked all those correspondents <laughs> perfectly, right? That's yeah. They really built. They didn't. Um, they didn't have John Oliver out and toss him out in two minutes. You know, he was there at the end, kind of. I mean, he was the big the, dog at the end, Stephen Colbert. The perfect layout because you get like a. I think they brought back a couple like relatively recent ones in the first view and the and the current cast, and they're like, yeah, have the first two minutes, and then boom, Steve Carell. Huge name right off the bat. Oh, my God. Anything can happen. Then they peppered them throughout. Stars oscillating up and down. Sometimes there's a Nate Cordry, but a Nate Cordry in a logical position with Rob. Come on, Cordry. Um, and then they're, you know, uh, tip your hat to whomever, get it out there, and then boom, boom, Oliver Colbert. 
And, uh, penultimate ultimate. Perfection. Nailed it. It was. Uh, Stewart joins the writing team like uh, FPJ. <laughs> Do those initials resonate? Freddie Prince Jr., of course. Hell yeah. Yeah, since the WWE won Stewart that last Emmy, I think he owes it to them to book a Royal Rumble. <laughs> it's only fair. Seems... Plausible. Now, uh, the deal here was to have Mr. Perfect be an advisor to Helmsley, but he was gone in a few weeks. And What happened was Perfect was thinking about getting a lump sum from Lloyds of London, which would mean signing a deal saying he would never wrestle again. And since the WWF wasn't sure if he was returning, they sent a letter to Lloyds trying to reach a settlement <laughs> regarding the deal. Lloyds hearing this nicks the lump sum since he wasn't permanently disabled. Perfect thought it was sabotage, started negotiating with WCW and no showing events. The WWF claimed he was under contract until May, which is why he didn't end up debuting in WCW until July. And What's really funny is in future video packages, they actually said Perfect was an unwitting accomplice. Then they showed <laughs> Triple H ramming Perfect with the cart and said he got rid of him when he was done with the plan. So this was specious uh, <laughs> retro uh, continuity here, I have to say. Mm-hmm. But that, was, um, that was it for Perfect until he showed up in that Royal Rumble six years. Uh... Yep. <laughs> no technical difficulties here uh, that we ran into. Now, um, where were we? Oh, Sid uh, wrestled Owen Hart on Raw the same night, and the British Bulldog did a run-in for the DQ. Shawn Michaels made the save. The next week, Shawn wrestled the British Bulldog, but Owen ran in. Sid made the save. Uh, Shawn and Sid had words during an in-ring interview. Ultimately, the to a tag match between Sid, Sean, and Owen and the Bulldog. You guess what happened, Justin? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. this was where stealing a pin was in vogue yet, so they probably, like, had some disagreements. Uh, Sean kicks Sid by mistake. Not again! Uh, yes. Sad but true. Uh, now, let, let's recount the history of mistaken kicks. Now, I guess a lot of them were on Diesel, but then there was the Survivor Series 95 where Sean kicked him by mistake and then didn't care because he hated Sid so bad. That's true, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Easy for me to forget that Sid was a babyface at this point, had been since he came back as the mystery man at International House of Pancakes incident. Yes, effectively true. And bizarrely, I think is stays a babyface this time, even though he is a dickhead to the two or three biggest babyface in the company, and Splatter's uh, poor Pistol Pete. So, so I could be wrong. Maybe he was acting the heel for a while. It gets a little, I mean, the way Sean was acting at times, but he's the hometown hero right. later, and Sid beats up an old man's grown son. I guess it's okay, actually. But uh, This is where the, the period ramps up, and it's such a cliche now of the Tude era, but where you, these, uh, just a lot of, bold personalities clashing with each other. Indeed. Uh, Raw moved up to 757 as of November 4th, and Nitro, so Nitro wouldn't Checkmate. get <laughs> Of course, Nitro started airing at 7.55 p.m., and um, basically the same start time as today, it just goes for another two hours. <laughs> uh, they also start airing Big Angles Live, which brings us to our next story. Where they ran an angle on Superstars, where Brian Pillman was interviewing Steve Austin, Austin was uh, upset. Pillman shook uh, Bret Hart's hand, and when he called Bret the best there is, was, etc., etc. Austin attacked him, put a chair around his ankle, and smashed it, and then Webster's added Pillman eyes to the dictionary. <laughs> Gerald Briscoe tried to make the save, but he ate shit, and then uh, thankfully Bob Holly and the pup 
or they to save the day. In a short film, is going to have ankle surgery. This is a way to write him off. But he's going to do an interview on Raw from his house. Steve Austin said he's going to show up and beat him up some more, because why not? And Vince asked Pillman if he was afraid, but Pillman retorted that Austin 316 was no match for Pillman 9mm and said he would blast Austin's ass straight to hell. Austin showed up and beat two of Pillman's fat friends who came to fight. <laughs> Hardcore driveway match. And then he breaks into the house. Everything goes dark. When we come back, we find Tillman fired, but Austin wasn't hurt. Austin comes back again, gets hauled off. It's chaos. And um, this was hugely controversial at the time and ultimately meant nothing because it didn't lead to a match and ratings didn't move at all. So uh, USA knew about this, was okay with it. They vetoed two things. They didn't want Melanie Tillman to take a bump, I guess, from Austin. And Tillman could only fire one shot. So... uh, yeah. <laughs> the famous gun angle. Nothing. To be fair, I think it did lead to an angle seven months later where Pillman rang the bell and cost Austin a WWF championship match on a cold day in hell. Oh, I suppose that's... Uh, I guess that is true. Sort of not what they had in mind, though. Seven months? I don't know. I did the quick count in my head of adding up. Uh, numbers where uh, months correspond to numbers from one to twelve. But it's tough that's about to right. Close over that twelve, and then you have to do some... Quick stuff. Boy, Pillman's friends were so fat, weren't they, Joe? <laughs> they were, uh, I don't know. I, I assume we were friends. He wasn't bodyguards he hired because the um, poor selection. What a dream match it would be, uh, six man, um, for the function of easy. I think you know where I'm going. Tillman and his fat friends versus the shield and the mark <laughs> from the crowd in the right. Here. Odds are uneven, but, you know, still a lot of intrigue there. Does it take place in the ring or uh, someone's Uh Yeah, a kiddie pool bumps the ring. <laughs> uh, yeah. Boy, oh boy. Now, um, I was doing my preparation at like 7.30 p.m., and uh, then I was distracted by the Radical Observer website redesign and uh, getting shattered out by Pittsburgh Penguins, City of Pittsburgh number one reporter Jonathan Bombley on Twitter and had to address both those concerns. So the only thing that I've prepared for the show, I'll tell it to you, and then I'll just clear the deck. <laughs> it says, loose cannon, question mark? More like loose gun. And uh, <laughs> that's all we got. Yep. Was this also, and you would know, because you hold all the cards in your hands, the final ever angle on WWF Superstars? Um... Depends. It's uh, some minor things here. There certainly the last, the last major, less memorable mm-hmm. one. It was um, pretty shocking. I remember Jim Ross actually said Pillmanized during uh, a later attack when Austin tried to repeat this. So, and it was so sad because Austin and Pillman and Owen, I believe, were so united in their dislike of Bret Hart um, at that interview segment on the pay per view a month. That's true. So. They could have had the Austin Foundation fight against Fred Hart. Oh, it was Lons, I guess they would be. Oh, yeah. So, moving on, the Smoking Guns were having their problems. They lost to the Godwins on the Raw after Buried Alive when they bonked into each other. And then on the October 27th Superstars, maybe this was was the last thing, Uh uh, Billy walked out on Bart during a match with the New Rockers, and then Bart won anyway. (laughs) You 
You can't win when one guy leaves? Like, Jesus Christ. That's the kind of angle that would happen on TV now, and people would freak out about how they'd lost the fundamentals of such a simple mm. angle that's been done so many times. Very curious. Anyway. And Billy leaves and he's like, rock. Hmm. Rock of me? <laughs> Uh, that was it for the guns after three years, three tag title runs. Don't know how you look at their legacy, if they have one. They were a top tag team during maybe the worst time in tag team wrestling <laughs> for the Federation. But, uh, but a dynasty nonetheless. And uh, both guys would hang around for uh, a couple of years. Bart was around a lot longer than I seem to remember. To get uh, beat up by Butterbean. Yep. The um, lefty. Billy certainly had his runs. Oh, yeah. Billy, a real tag team specialist. Mm-hmm. His three legendary teams, four legendary, t- five legendary teams. <laughs> Keep adding one. We're calculating on the fly. Smoking Guns, of course. New Age Outlaws. Oh, you didn't know? Uh, Shoguns, or should I say Double Trouble Crap on a Stick. <laughs> then you have got the Billy Gun, Jamie Noble Orgy Team. And finally, Billy Gun and Bob Holly. Cranky-ass veterans who shouldn't be on the roster anymore. And, <laughs> yep, tell them again their finisher. Uh, the GHB. That's right. Actually, I called. Yep. Uh, Shoguns hold a special place in my heart because they won me $10. Because I made this elaborate bet with a friend that uh, Big Show would not win a title <laughs> during um, in a six-month span. And then he won, and I won, and I bought a spaghetti dinner with it. And uh, mm-hmm. there you go. And yeah, it would mean a lot to the big show to know that he provided someone a delicious meal. I won't champ, please retire at him. I have respect for his legacy of earning me. He's a giant. <laughs> I've heard it alleged. <laughs> Isn't it funny, though, uh, we make jokes about Kane perpetually. He was the fake Diesel on our conversation. And as we recorded it, it is like the greatest week Kane is going to have in his career. So we should um, trap this moment in amber and... <laughs> when Kane fucking rules, man. Don't let me hear it said otherwise. We started getting vignettes for someone named Rocky Maivia. It was uh, it was funny to see him being so cordial towards Kevin Kelly in that <laughs> relationship. Quickly soured. He made his raw debut standing outside the ring on November 4th. It was uh, Goldust, accompanied by Perfect Triple H and Crush against Barry Windham, seconded by uh, Mark Merrow. Mr. Maivia and Mark Henry. These, all these men would meet at Survivor Series, and uh, once you know it, everyone fought at the end of that match. So. Well, Mr. Maivia is who current WWE television would call Rocky Johnson, based on the John Cena precedent, <laughs> right? I mean, I guess that's because the people would be fucking bamboozled if there were two people named John Cena, but still. Yes. Mr. Cena. <laughs> sounds totally normal. Yeah, I like Rock in his, like... He's not so much a person anymore as he is a living, breathing, smiling brand. Uh, mm. Now, Postum funded himself for this time. Uh, yes. But it's, it's, uh, he's like, John Cena is disingenuous to the point of being genuine. I feel like Rock is genuine to the point of being disingenuous nowadays. I wish him many congratulations on his many successes, though. He did deserve yes, it. indeed. And there's a period in the middle where he was... Freaking really great. So I'll let it slide now. And the Survivor Series is more meaningful than him, more meaningful to him than maybe we would have thought at the time, since he was like, "Yeah, I'll come back for this dumb fuck match with the Miz." <laughs> That's the Survivor Series. 
speaking of Survivor Series, we'll jump there. Although they, they had their uh, Hall of Fame ceremony the night before. And the class of 96 <laughs> was comprised of um, Vince McMahon Sr., Pat Patterson, Captain Lou Albano, Killer Kowalski, Johnny Rods, Baron Sakuna, and Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Oops. Uh, the last class until 2004, by the way. So, I guess they had to replenish. They were not up to the strict uh, yearly standards they, they maintain now. So. Yeah, I'll say. And then 2004, they hit them hard with, like, well, I guess the, the current main eventers of WCW at this time. <laughs> and Mr. Frounderful. <laughs> Anyway, this uh, the show itself is great. Maybe the best Survivor Series ever. You had mentioned 2002, and you may be right. That was the first Elimination Chamber show, along with um, lots of other good things with the SmackDown. I'm a six. giant. I broke Brock Lesnar. <laughs> Indeed. Anyway, we'll start with the main event, which is uh, Sean versus Sid. Sid got big cheers all through the match, and the MSG crowd hated Sean, so he had an atmosphere rather similar to today. <laughs> And this was easily Sid's best singles match ever. His offense looks good. He was really moving around at the beginning. I thought Sean sold great for him. His punches sucked, but so be it. And uh, at the end, Sid takes a camera, telegraphed, actually, because he had bumped into the cameraman earlier. And instead of smacking Sean, he decks Jose Lothario, who's on the apron. Jose falls to the floor, clutches his heart. And uh, Sean hits the super kick, but goes out to check on his friend instead. So Sid grabs the camera again, bonks Sean, tosses it back in the ring, powerbomb. One, two, three, and Sid, who had always had so much hype around him after seven years of, uh, seven, eight years, you know, finally wins the big one, world champion. He did it. <laughs> Congratulations to yes, Sid. I have to say. Yeah. Um, it's uh, funny. I guess Sid is the kind of guy who the tough New York guys in Madison Square Garden is always going to cheer. But it's also funny to think of that as the hardcore hotbed, Shawn Michaels, you know, who's uh, sort of supplanted Ric Flair in as the general consensus casual guy to say is just the best wrestler, period. The guy who was the best at wrestling. Um, being booed, being a little sissy man with his dad managing him. <laughs> to the point where six years later, as they reacted to Big Papa Pump, a, a tough, strong man... Throwing around that Chris Nowinski. Give me a fucking <laughs> So it was like, was New York going to cheer for returning Shawn Michaels uh, and his Mona from Friends haircut? <laughs> they're so tough and he's a little little man who they booed. And it was like, well, yeah, obviously, because the context changes and now he's like the true wrestling guy. So, uh, yeah, Shawn Michaels, the boyhood dream, took some turns towards the end of the year. We're a long way from Mania 12. Do you think people were just kind of tired of Sean? He'd been champ for eight months on all the pay-per-views. Vince was always doing his <laughs> unbelievable routine with him. I'd say that's a fair, a fair assessment. I mean, were you tired of him at this point as a fan? I was just watching like, Metro, baby. Okay. <laughs> Turn back to the gun, because as with uh, um, the fake Diesel and Razor Ramon, I was like, what are you talking about? What? <laughs> oh, that's weird. Indeed. And um, the other big match was the Steve Austin-Bret Hart match. And clearly their second match at WrestleMania is better and more historically significant. Not to people who are trying to make a attention-drawing point and 
Well, those people He's need so to try because that's the best match the company ever <laughs> did. So, sorry, but this one isn't far behind. It's uh, it's very different too. A lot of mat wrestling. The end stretch is great. Austin gets frustrated, busts out the million dollar dream, but Brett kicks off the ropes like at Mania uh, Eight, gets the win and a title shot at the next show. So, um, yeah, must see stuff here. And how do we chart the arc of the sleeper turnbuckle kickoff? Ninety two, Brett does it to Piper. And then Brett does it to Austin here. And then does um, Rock do it to Austin in Mania 17? I believe he does, yeah. And then I th- but it's only a near fall. Yeah, and then I think Kurt Angle did it, and then the culmination of the story is Austin kept it on. And then a journey of growth. That's how uh, Montreal should have ended. Huh. Hey, you could be unconfidential. <laughs> Imagine if that was your pitch. I'm like, yeah, just follow him. Double count him. <laughs> you have booked Brett, and then you could have done angles playing off that forever. Imagine people then recreating that finish over and over again. If I appeared live, they would scream. <laughs> I could make merchandise off of it. Uh, be a TNA Hall of Fame. Uh... We had the in-ring debut of Rocky Maivia, the team with uh, Mark Merrow, Barry Windham, who was getting a Yosemite Sam mustache at this point, and dressed like a Dudley brother, and uh, Jake Roberts replacing the injured Mark Henry. They took on uh, Triple H, Crush, Jerry Lawler, and Goldust. Assuming Merrow and Triple H were the captains, why don't you lay, lay some uh, team names on me here? Oh, my gosh. Do you want good ones or uh, ones that would be on the back of a Coliseum video? <laughs> Give me whatever you got. Who did you say the heel captain was, Hunter? Uh, Triple H, yes. Okay, so the Coliseum video one would just be the Wild Men versus <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> I'll give you mine. I had the wild child against the upper crust. Oh, because uh, Rock is a third-generation wrestler? Yeah, and uh, I know it's for wild children is probably better, but uh, it was all I could come and up then with. Did you, I had something else, too. Did you say wild. the upper crust or the upper crush? Yep. Uh, I went upper crust, but crush was right there, so I'll, say, I'll stick with upper crust. Huh. Um, well, <laughs> and then the Hunter team, again, by... Coliseum video naming convention, I think, would be the Greenwich Snobs, but that doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, yeah, well, like the Blue Bloods. And yeah, oh, that's kind of infringement on what was... That is a WCW team name, but they did take the dudes with the attitudes at one point, so maybe that's just fair mm-hmm. game. The same thing. Those click guys always ripping off the deep cuts. Maybe the Gentries, but uh, we want you... Does <laughs> that, that, that have... Um, <laughs> no billet connotations, or am I just completely misconstruing them? Yeah, that sounds right. Okay. I'll buy that. Um, hmm. All right, well, you give just the facts. I'm going to keep staring at these names and see what comes out. All right. Anyway, the um, the wrestling in the match wasn't great, but the structure was uh, was well done with the idea of getting Maivia over. And after Mero pinned Triple H with the Mero Salt, Crush quickly took him out, took Jake out with a hard punch. So it came down to Rocky against Crush and Goldust, and he managed to get a quick win off Crush with the body press, and then uh, pinned Goldust with his devastating finisher, the running shoulder breaker. Whoa. And the, uh, it went nuts for young Rocky, a trend that would continue the remainder of his career. 
You know, when he had that match against Cena at WrestleMania where it was just basically spamming rock bottoms and attitude adjustments, he should have busted out the um, running shoulder breaker for a, a combo breaker of sorts. That's the kind of thinking that had Austin doing the Million Dollar Dream, so yeah, you're right. There you go. Still staring at these names. not coming right now. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. We'll, we'll proceed. Uh, another debut in the opener as uh, Doug Furness and Phil LaFon debut, teaming with the Godwins against Owen and uh, Davey Boy Smith and the New Rockers. And uh, they got the Godwins out pretty quickly. And it got pretty good because uh, Furness and LaFon were, were talented, but you can tell it was a real change going from All Japan to the WWF. And um, kind of one of those, like, I don't know, they show up now, be on NXT, and be like, super popular. <laughs> but you could tell. And actually, it was weird hearing. Um, I think Jericho was talking about how uh, Lafon was a wild man, and he had to like, you know, he went to rehab and stuff, which was just weird because he's just like this, the most straight laced guy who just like, you know, wrestler guy, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, they were good, and um, probably just ahead of their time. Yep, all those matches with Owen and Bulldog that were. Just pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we had yet another Undertaker-Mankind match, uh, the time with Paul Bear in a cage above the ring. Undertaker had a new look, because I guess he died and came back to life. Correct. Because he dressed like a bat <laughs> came down from the ceiling. And uh, wore, like, this leather and had a tattoo under his eyes. I guess he killed someone in prison or something. But uh, they went on second, which is odd. And um, had a bit of a different match, because Undertaker was doing, like, fire carries and drop toe holds while... Mankind was falling all over the place. and uh, Anyway, Undertaker won with a tombstone out of nowhere. The cage got lowered, but the executioner ran out and attacked, and the heels beat a hasty retreat, so you had to continue. I don't know. Again, I don't know where executioner is during these matches, <laughs> but, you know, he's uh, maybe just, you know, on the chopping block, so to speak. Another just run Undertaker feud 1.2.htm processing, processing. Runs all the way until, uh, I don't know who the last one was. Like, Kozlov was sort of an Undertaker versus this dumb fuck redux. <laughs> Certainly, um, uh, the Raping Man, Heidenreich. I, that wasn't me nicknaming him. <laughs> that was his real name. I was not nicknaming him that. I was trying to remember his name and said that. Um, yeah. Like, Heidenreich was messing with the Undertaker, and, and it took a while for Undertaker to actually have a match with him. He was just like, shut up. I'm trying to <laughs> trying to beat JBL. We have a rematch. You won't run in, right? Okay. Sort of thing. I actually saw a, um, yeah. a house show main evented by Heidenreich Undertaker match. And uh, I remember Heidenreich didn't want to get out of his straitjacket at first, <laughs> which seemed a poor strategy for combat, and uh, tried to climb like a lighting rig to escape, which is also a bad strategy. Undertaker seemed unhappy with his lot in life to be... <laughs> Battling this man. But, uh, there you go. Uh, anyway, we had a random match that was weirdly historical. Because on one side, it was uh, Vader, Fake Diesel, Razor, and Farouk. Farouk, thankfully, had new gear, no more Gladiator. Uh, he was wrapped down to the ring by longtime Memphis tag team PG-13. And he had some associates collectively known as the Nation of Domination. It was a very low-key debut for a durable gimmick in the... Um, Important one in company history for what it did for The Rock. Yes, it went through some various incarnations. One of them was nigh exclusively based on black people or with the black heart exemption. And then this one was actually 
pretty multicultural. Yeah. Yeah, Crush was in there uh, pretty quickly. Because, uh, why not? <laughs> and uh, on the other side was Flash Funk, the debuting Tickle Scorpio with a pimp gimmick. And um, Flash Funk? He's so funky. Yeah. He, what this bodysuit? I think ended up dooming him. It just looked bad. But he teamed with Savio Vega, Yokozuna, and a mystery partner who was Jimmy Snuka, who was elected to the Hall of Fame the night before. All right, do you want to pick captains and team names here? I know I'm springing this on you, but... Um, I'm still staring at the other one. Uh, oh, scrolling right. up. So the captains of... Oh, brother. I will say... Because Funk is a new guy, he couldn't captain. Snook is a mystery guy, he couldn't captain. Yoko's MIA. I guess Savio's a captain by default. Ugh. Well, I had... Uh, Vader captaining the Mastodons against Jimmy Snuka captaining Team How to Get Away with Murder. <laughs> Topical. I. Oh, man. Um. Yeah, that can stand. All right. Anyway, everyone just started fighting at the ten-minute mark. It got thrown out. The men they call Vader's team versus <laughs> the super guys. <laughs> Four-fold uh, Scorpio. <laughs> we actually had a Survivor Series match on the pre-show. It was uh, Bart Gunn, Aldo Montoya, Bob Hawley, and Jesse James against Billy Gunn, the Sultan, Justin Bradshaw, and Sal Sincere. So we had the Gun Club against the Gun Collection. <laughs> they took a commercial break in the middle of it, and uh, Bart won in 11 minutes with a forearm smash on Billy. So, yeah. Revenge. Yeah, there you go. Like, I mean, I, they presumably had a singles match at some point, but... They had, um... They had a free-for-all. Uh, uh, Bart gave Billy a stinger, I believe, which may have been fake. I haven't gotten that far ahead. Mm. Yep. So, yeah, that we was... Record this, Seth gave Stinger a stinger. <laughs> a broken freaky neck, yeah. We, there was another limerick from uh, your friend and mine, James. Uh, God, I always butcher this. Kalen? How do you do it? Yep. And uh, I want to read this here. <laughs> I'll write him. I almost have this memorized, but I want to make sure. <laughs> and he was upset. He said, um, originally said trophy. Uh, when I believe he meant statue. Ah, he corrected what a himself. goof. I will, uh, I will correct it, but I have to. Uh, here we go. I will correct this. There once was a man from the rafters who trashed Rollins' statue with laughter. But I think that Sting is done in the ring. He got buckle bombed to the hereafter. <laughs> Bravo. Yeah, I usually go monosyllabic in the one two five and polysyllabic in the three four lines. And he reversed that, which is an intriguing switch. That is. So, uh, yes, Survivor Series 2002, a very good show. Uh, if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. Probably. Easily the, the homework from this uh, from this this session. Mm-hmm. So on to December. Uh, we had a couple big announcements here. That uh, one, Sean would get his return title shot at the Royal Rumble. Two, the Rumble would be held at the seven one seventy one thousand seat Alamo Dome in San Antonio. They figured with Sean going for the title in his hometown, Jose Lothario being involved in discount tickets, they could draw a good crowd. The first stadium show since WrestleMania eight and. Um, I sort of, like, what the hell, you know, like, like they had to try a bigger venue for the Rumble than WrestleMania, and their biggest show in 
um, like four years. I don't know. It's still still strikes me as odd. I just don't get why they thought this was a good idea. Yeah, and I guess it's probably been displaced by most of the modern stadium WrestleManias, but it was always so weird when it would show up in the list of biggest attendances in company history because like, huh? For that? And of course the asterisk was always that it was a heavily paper. Indeed. Those was, give away uh, yeah. Taco Bell tickets. It was, you know, Ask for a ticket, you'll get one. Imagine them being on their hands and knees to, uh, was it AAA or whomever? They were like, quick, get in here. It actually was, um, that was uh, announcement three. They would be working with AAA on the show to boost attendance. And actually there were uh, three AAA dark matches on the show, that, uh, including the one that was made the broadcast and AAA wrestlers in the Rumble. And you may be wondering how that worked with guys like Ray Zacosis and Hoobie <laughs> and WCW, who were under AAA contract. Well, Antonio Pena said uh, he could get those wrestlers moved to the WF in court. Conan said those contracts were invalid since AAA didn't technically exist. It had been renamed PAP in Mexico. And uh, nothing ever came of it, although WCW did have Diano 4 unmasked for Nitro and wrestle as a jobber named Tony Pena. So that was their <laughs> response to the whole thing. In true WCW fashion. Is PAP the new diva faction? Oh, <laughs> let's see. Paige, of course. Oksana, naturally. And, um... Line. Uh, <laughs> um, Pegasus Kid. <laughs> no, that doesn't work for a couple reasons, I'm afraid. Okay. I'll give you an A for effort, though. <laughs> Pegasus Kid. <laughs> uh, would that be Eva Marie's new name? Oh, wow. <laughs> work rate fans. Jeez. Here's this great freaking Total Diva scene. So... If you've listened to all my canonical appearances, free and uh, money, I don't remember where I talked about it. Maybe on the our uh, sister show, which is actually a niece show, not N I E C E and N I C H E. But so when Brian Kendrick, the Brian Kendrick, was introduced to Total Divas, uh, Eva Marie's husband, Jonathan Marie. Uh, was like, this guy's dope. He's just a really passionate, really positive guy. And then, so she's been training with him uh, ongoing. And uh, then a few episodes later, Eva's arc for the episode was she was going to learn to do the slice bread number two. But this is a WWE show that only consults, like, the WWE.com probably profile of the Brian Kendrick, where his finisher is called The Kendrick. And so... There's a very staged-looking scene, and, um, you know, Total Divas generally does a good job of being just, like, a reality show, fake scene, compared to, like, some truly set-up bullshit scenes. And this was uh, leaned far towards the latter, where Jonathan Marie, Eva Marie, and Brian Kendrick were sitting around the ring after a hard training session, and then, apropos of nothing, Eva Marie... <laughs> Or no, Jonathan was like, so when you came up with the Kendrick, were you just like thinking about that as like a signature maneuver or just something to bust out? And then Eva was like, you know, I think it would be pretty dope if I myself learned how to do the Kendrick as some sort of uh, arc for this episode. And uh, (laughs) a combination of Jonathan talking about it and the very natural seeming uh, perpetual reference 
Let's do the Kendrick, the Kendrick, the Kendrick. So what were you thinking about the Kendrick? What was the thought process there? Seek it out, please. Okay. Uh, not a lot in the way of booking to the December pay-per-view. Uh, Sid cut a promo about Bret Hart, called him the Brit Man. And uh, they gave the impression that Sid and Bret had a hotel room brawl after a match uh-huh. in London. Which Dave Belter noted as tacky. <laughs> it's like a reverse Mean Gene hotline. <laughs> Uh, Ahmed Johnson starts showing up at ringside when the Nation of Domination was around and uh, debuted the uh, the famous You're Going Down chant uh, in regards to Farouk. And they were running this strange angle where they seemed to be turning the British Bulldog face because uh, after a match with Owen and Brett, uh, Austin ran in. He was going to pilmanize Brett's leg. Owen's like, cool. <laughs> Bulldog ran in, stopped it, saying that was too much. So Austin hit Bulldog with a chair. Owen was like, hey, maybe don't do that to my partner. And uh, Bulldog cost Austin a match against two jobbers on Superstars. And then in London, Sid was going to powerbomb Bulldog post-match, but Brett pulled him to safety. I imagine this was set up in mind with the European title run. I'm not sure, because it didn't end up paying off. And uh, I'm guessing the way they had planned. But uh, that's for another time. (coughs) Choking on a peanut. I'm sorry. (laughs) I was going to mute it, but it wouldn't explain why I dropped out. Oh, God. I'm better. Yes. Yeah, uh, oh my God. Pa, timeout. <laughs> oh oh, good Lord. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So uh, I feel like uh, Marco Rubio when he had to take that sneaky water and felt so ashamed. Wow. Yeah, Austin was, like, constantly clipping uh, David Smith's knee all the time, and then nothing really came up. But, uh, yeah, it was like a reverse payoff, because then instead of them feuding, it was like ex post facto justification for the uh, Hart Foundation reunion, when they were all like, you know, he's right, we're all fucking pissed at this dickhead. (laughs) Uh, And, so I... Sorry. um, Like... When Steve Austin was on, uh, I think, Figure Four Daily at some point, a question that Alan Cunahan, the wrestling journalist, wanted to ask and then didn't get asked, but he asked Dave, so who was Austin going to work with at WrestleMania 13 if Brett and Sean had had their matches planned? And the correct answer, as far as I know, I mean, Austin had no idea, and... I'm sure there was not no plan. It was just like, they would have been like, yeah, Stone Cold versus Vader. Who gives a shit? We got the <laughs> show booked out. You know, he, Not that Steve Austin wasn't important, but it, it's not like they were putting together a super card. At SummerSlam, they just had him beat Yokozuna. So, um, somewhere in there, I was like, well, hey, he was kept uh, clipping Davey Boy Smith's leg. Was that the match? And then Meltzer was like, I don't know, maybe. And then somehow I think I accidentally planted a subliminal message in Dave's mind that that was the match. Because then sometimes in the WrestleMania retrospective articles he writes, he's like, it was going to be Steve Austin versus Davey Boy Smith. And I'm always like, is that true? Or did I just trick you into thinking that? (laughs) So I don't know. I should clear the air, but also I'm scared. So let me plant that lingering doubt in our foremost journalist. I don't want to. But it's the truth. That is a matter of apocrypha. I don't think anyone's going to pop. <laughs> Wouldn't worry about ah. it. 
Uh, we should talk about the Karate Fighters tournament. Now, Karate Fighters uh, is a toy where you put these little figures on a pedestal and hit buttons, and the figures have a seizure that resembles combat. And they were a sponsor. They sponsored pay-per-views. So we got a tournament featuring WWF talent. Here are the brackets. Uh, Bob Backlund took on Sonny. Uh, Sable versus Doc Hendricks. Sid took on Marlena. And Mr. Perfect versus Phineas. And uh, I would imagine Perfect was the number one seed, you would have <laughs> to think. Right? Phineas would be eight. I'm trying to reverse engineer here. So probably Sonny would be two. Backlund, seven. Uh, it is unfamiliar with technology. <laughs> yes, Sid, Sid a solid three. We should have Marlena be uh, six. Uh, Sable, four. Doc Hendricks, five. That seems okay. That seems passable. I guess. I mean, the Karate Fighters mechanism really levels the playing field to where superstars, divas, and legends, TM, 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 can all compete against each other. Or Doc wasn't, I suppose, a legend TM yet. He was just, he was broadcast talent. Bumbling huh. guy, yes. Uh, so Sonny and Sable won their respective matches, and Sonny appeared to win the semifinal to advance to the finals, but it was determined she used gum on her fighter. So uh, Sable won via DQ. The other half of the bracket was a bit of a mess because Mr. Perfect beat Phineas, but then he quit the company. And uh, Sid beat Marlena, and then he was the champ and didn't have time for this horse shit. So uh, <laughs> we had alternates. They had Todd Pengale stepping in for Mr. Perfect, a rarity. And uh, the king for Sid, you really should have had an alternate match, I would think, to make this fair. Uh, Lawler beat Todd in the semis, and the finals actually took place on Raw in front of a crowd. <laughs> which, uh, it was Sable a one. We'll leave it at that. It tied more into an uh, ongoing feud between Triple H and Goldust. So there you go. Okay. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no one else. Now we did cover a tournament this year where the winner was changed due to <laughs> mess around, and it was fairly consequential. This had slightly less. Uh, yes. You were, what did WCW have like an arm wrestling tournament that um, like your max. Pains and Van Hammers had a lot of uh, guys with uh, some very like bodacious biceps were thrown yeah, like, down. Uh, I don't know if it was around. The, I remember one in like ninety three or, so, or so. Right? Yeah, like Tony Atlas was involved because Jesse, the body, did he preside over it or yep. was it named after him? I have a feeling that would be something. Possibly both. You care about yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but that's a little closer to professional wrestling because it's like arms, muscles, physical contact. Not playing yes. with these. Little bonker plastic. <laughs> uh, we started getting house show matches from Brackus, who was a huge bodybuilder named uh, um, Albrecht. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he didn't last long. It was funny because the Observer kept having these updates on his training, including this note that uh, uh, Albrecht in camp already hates taking bumps, so they have put a mattress in the ring for him. <laughs> It's not seemed to bode well, but um, reports were he actually was working Dr. Tom Pritchard, his trainer, that he, uh, there was hope for him, I believe, was the, the original, but he did not last long. But that is for another show, the next one. But, um, yes, he was actually named Argo for his first two matches and then changed it to Brackus, which uh, would remain for the remainder. They were inspired by the, um, how, never, no. This is not a good one. Fuck. Do you have an Argo joke? In no, I was going to say they were like, oh, we, he's, uh, we made really bad brackets for this um, <laughs> tournament of 
karate fighters, so we should now name this guy who's bad at wrestling and taking bumps brackets inspired by the <laughs> it's, not, it's not, it doesn't help. I chuckled. Okay. It is late, though. Uh, if he was Argo, though, I think Argo is a pretty cool name, and his fans could be, of course, the Argonauts. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe bring that back. Yes. But th- then there was a Jason. Um, That's true. <laughs> also Six around this time. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, what about the, the Fargonauts? Now I'm just saying word <laughs> association. Has there ever been a wrestler from um, Fargo? <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, well, I guess you could just do like Jackie Fargo. Yes. Okay. That's you know, I this is apropos of absolutely nothing, but I... Then it has no place here, Joe. <laughs> I should move on. No, I do appreciate how... Um, there's a real sense of... Um, well, I guess realism when it comes to hometowns. Like Seth Rollins, the big heel champ, is from Iowa. You know, they don't try to, you know, just make him be from New York City or something remotely interesting. Like Davenport, Iowa. Right. You know, like that. <laughs> Not, I mean, they would just move people to Venice Beach, the hottest spot. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I mean, Dolph Ziggler is from Hollywood, Florida, except when he's in Cleveland. Right. He is from, but, um, yeah, like, you know, Dean Ambrose, crazy man from Ohio. You know. Uh, <laughs> Well, Ohio is pretty wild because it's, um, you know, it's round on both sides and high in the middle. <laughs> and the bell is from, you know, Scottsdale, Arizona. At least that's, you, know. you can get a good tan there. I guess that's true. So what you said, is there any Fargo wrestler? And what I meant to say was there is a big Balboski, So I guess that's true. <laughs> Remember when I said it at the time? It's very good. There's also, I mean, Barton Fink. That's something with Howard Finkel. Oh boy, let's just wow. let's get this going, man. <laughs> I am sorry. Um, can't even hit those Survivor Series names. It's not my night. Scottsdale, Arizona, <laughs> the Bella Twins. Um, yeah. All right, uh, moving on. The Headbangers debut on Superstars, two metal guys in skirts. and uh, Not the show metal. Have, no. <laughs> no, not, which I believe turned into a recap show. Uh, the Bangers would have a gimmick change in the coming weeks, uh, but still a surprisingly durable gimmick. It seems like they would be, you know, Red Radford Part 2, just come and go, but uh, got to get a couple of years out of it. They did, and maybe the, you can't even say, like, a low point of tag team champions. It was just like, yep, they were one of them. Yeah, they were, you know, not great, but, uh... Got the rub from Old Stone Cold. There you go. Uh, There's a lot of talk about a late Saturday night show emanating from New York with a more hardcore theme. Um... Yeah, there's always, like, a mystery, like, oh, is it going to be weekly, a special? You know, is it going to be, like, that weekly pay-per-view idea they they tossed around? And uh, we finally learned uh, it would be Shotgun Saturday night for a January 4th start date. So January 4th, still a big date in wrestling. Um, they kept the TV quiet because they were afraid WCW would find out and purchase the time. And it was <laughs> going to be midnight on Saturdays from certain nightclubs. And um, scouted by Vince, Bruce Pritchard, and Paul Heyman, who was <laughs> involvement. And, um... It was always so strange because Vince was critical of WCW for being live, but he was doing it on a Saturday night. Um, also watering down Saturday house shows because you need top talent and 
taking the off the best night of the week, but we'll get more into that next time. But um, again, a show that would change into a <laughs> weekly clip show. Mm-hmm. It fit the aesthetic of the wacky time we're about to enter, but it was fairly... I mean, everything of consequence that's happened on that, you've seen, because they showed Triple H getting tombstoned on the escalator. They showed whatever the hell Terry Funk was doing, and uh, that's pretty much it. There you go. That's the legacy of that show. All right. Imagine, like, today you couldn't even have a show called Shotgun Saturday. No. It's too scary. (laughs) (laughs) The connotations are so violent. Never mind someone pointing a gun at the screen or solving their problem with guns. <laughs> Not allowed. Although if um, if uh, Roman Reigns joins Special Ops and ah. he does his action figure, you would think. Mm-hmm. Or Seth Rollins becomes some kind of cybernetic man. Yeah, I thought he was a some samurai. Dark, oh, you're right. I must be. Sorry, I have some dark. It could be shit. both. I don't but, know. I suppose it's not. You know, the object is to mix and match, so a cybernetic samurai is not. um, (laughs) What a weird (laughs) design choice. Mm -hmm. Anyway, this is on Action Figure Show. Yeah, although I was just in a Target store, the red one, and uh, they had um, these um, Slam City figurines. Remember the show where the wrestlers had second jobs? Oh, yes. Or I guess it was their primary job. It was an alternate reality of sorts um, where baby-fied superstars, I guess, had... Anyway, so they were selling CM Punk the Ice Cream Man, which is, you would think, something they would have made after all that to make fun of him, but it was actually, like, just their good idea that they were going to have something. <laughs> and then I was like, CM Punk and Ice Cream Man? What, because he wanted those ice cream? Well, okay, that makes sense. Sure, why not? So... It is weird, and I bought it. So, okay. CM Punk, the Ice Cream Man from Slam City, put it in the time capsule. <laughs> so, Camp WWE figures will be out then. In, uh, yeah, not a lot of variety there because they're all just going to be in like camouflage shorts. Everyone's clothes are the same. Except Nikki Bella's tank top would have to be because she's still fairly well developed at an early age, from what I understand yes. from the capsules. So, Counselor Hulk Hogan. Uh, Ooh, whoops. Available. They're going to paint over him. You know, they painted over an Electra from <laughs> and just made her Psylocke. Who can you turn Hulk <laughs> yeah. Hogan into? Tony Atlas. There you know. go. Palette swap. That is the direction <laughs> we need to be because, like, oh, yep, yep. WWE legend Tony Atlas. <laughs> All right. Our final pay per view of 1996 in your house. It's time. Oh, it's time? It is another nothing show. I don't know if Dave Meltzer bothered to review it because I couldn't find the Observer review. Uh, They may have skipped a week because there was one week missing, although I don't know if that coincided with the Christmas holiday. But um, I guess this was named based on uh, on Vader because Vader was originally scheduled to beat Sid at Buried Alive and win the title at Survivor Series because they actually did Survivor Series box art based on Vader being in the title match. Mm -hmm. But why they couldn't just change the name, I don't know. I guess it didn't matter. It's not like the title was It's Vader Time. All that promotional material is already out. I guess it's time. It is. Whatever. It was time. It was. There, and it, there's a trend of these December shows, It's Time, Degeneration X, Rock Bottom, all being named after a man and his stuff. Huh? Um, yeah. Is December the uh, the toughest month for um, 
pay-per-views. That's funny how September has had a, a specious history. But December, because you had, you know... D2D. Yep, you had um, the Generation X, the debacle of a show. Uh, I'm trying to think. Buried Alive, I don't remember being much. You did have the half-hour Vince Triple H match in 99. Mm-hmm. I guess 2000, the Armageddon match. 2001 was the big title tournament. Where I don't know if you know, Chris Jericho beat the Rockets one night. I don't know if you knew that, but um, yeah, it was. It's uh, it's just kind of like was last year. When did the TV blow up in um, Dean Ambrose's face? Was that last? Year? <laughs> I thought you meant in general, like the WWE TV product <laughs> did it explode? <laughs> but no, yeah, that literally no. happened. Yes. He was like, I'm going to bullet. I'm going to bullet. Oh. <laughs> that was, yeah. Oh, my God. That was, yeah. Oh. Anyway, this show, which was, um, again, time. Nothing. Yeah, it was time. Uh, the main event, Sid versus Brett with uh, Sean on commentary. The match was just okay. Sid's great pay per view match streak ended at one. But, um, well, I can tell you this boy, observer issue exists because he gave it three stars. That's, that's about right. Um, uh, it was really overpowered by Sean on commentary. Sean called Sid the most expensive piece of luggage in consideration. <laughs> Sid, Brett was vanilla and boring, and his time off made him a bitter jerk. Uh, Steve Austin interfered at one point. He chop-blocked Brett. And uh, the end saw both competitors end up outside. Sid pie-faced Sean. Sean hopped up on the apron. Brett bonked into him. Powerbomb, Sid wins, one, two, three, and uh, Brett beat the shit out of Sean afterwards <laughs> in a scenario I assume was scripted. <laughs> Curious. Uh, tougher to tell as time went on, but um, yes, it gets uh, two big wins to lead to Royal Rumble. That was about as good as it got. Uh, the other big match was Undertaker versus Executioner in an Armageddon rules match, which is basically Texas death. You have to pin someone. They have ten seconds to get up. They're having this match, and I'm wondering where Mankind is. Like, why can't these guys help each other out? But then he runs out and um, completely eats shit trying to make the save in a botchamania moment. It pretty much turns into a, not even a handicap match. <laughs> Undertaker versus Mankind, because Undertaker fights him. He throws him through the house setting. Executioner supposedly ended up being thrown in the water outside the arena, but he comes back later. It looks fairly dry. Mankind gets maced by security, put in a straitjacket, and... Uh, Mankind, I mean, Undertaker and Executioner end up in the ring. Undertaker wins with a tombstone. They only did one pinfall, so I don't know what the point of it was. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty much the end of Mr. Executioner, who looked terrible here. It was hardly in the match, so, uh, yeah. Mm, and you can add that to the list of gimmick matches Undertaker has exclusive to himself, right? I guess. I don't believe there was ever another Armageddon match, or at least one name. I mean, there were, I guess, Texas Death matches, although nothing ever Named as such. Mm-hmm. It is, and then it's strange. Oh, so the 99 Armageddon pay-per-view, which was the start of the string of Armageddons, also continues the streak of the December show being named after some wrestler's thing, because Undertaker and Big Show started what was going to be this huge heel team called, like, Armageddon. Ooh, scary. But then Undertaker got hurt, and it was quickly scrapped. So isn't that crazy? That I just crazy. worked that out on the spot. Wow. Armageddon on the fly. Rules. Now, right. imagine today if they had uh, a Bret Hart come back for his first uh, match in um, eight months and get a win, and then in the very next pay-per-view beat him, they'd be like, what the fuck? You don't know what you're doing! 
<laughs> but hey, then they just did it here. Okay, yeah, that's true. Uh, moving on, Flash Funk beat Leaf Cassidy in the open air. It's always funny how, like, you know, they're doing some really cool moves here, and no one gave two shits because, uh, you know, in WCW it would have places have gone bonkers, but you know, it was just more about always more about star power with the mm-hmm. WWF crowd, which is just how it was, I guess. Neither good nor ill, but uh, it's the way it be. Yes, they had similar strings. Now, Alex Snow did catch on as like some cult stuff, but these two men are ordained to in just a few months form a unit known as the Job Squad. Yes, so. <laughs> Uh, we also had Owen and Bulldog beating fake Razor and Diesel. And uh, first, Peter Roth and Seaver Dandigo came out during the match to build up nothing, really. And then uh, Stone Cold interfered later. And uh, that was all about... That was interesting about this. The champs retained. JR was... Uh, it was a huge match, though. Brett's family against the Click. I guess so. A final blow-up. Uh, JR was always blatantly biased in favor of Diesel and Razor. He's very... His guys, I guess, and uh, yeah, that was about it. And uh, Meltzer's idea, he mentioned in an observer, not even idea, speculation, supposition that Jim Ross was going to put together a reverse W or NWO of all the newly arrived WCW guys. Slightly different than uh, him just cheering for Razor Ramon and Diesel. This version. A bit, yeah. Also changes, I mean, then you have Austin and Pillman and Farouk all joined together with whoever else. Mark Merrow, I guess. All the guys who would soon be starring in Where the Big Boys Play commercials. That's true. <laughs> uh, lastly, it was Triple H against Mark Merrow for the IC title, which was good, but um, I got I was a little tired of it at this point. I had been binge-watched a lot of this. And they had any matches. Yes, they did. And uh, Triple H propositioned Marlena on the pre-show. So at the end, Goldust ran out. He accidentally clocked Mero with the belt and then intentionally hit Triple H with the title. And Mero beat the count back in to win the match, but not the belt, and uh, move on to Goldust without hurting Mero. So the, uh, I don't know, ill-fated Goldust face turn. But uh, there you go. And lastly, an Ahmed Johnson interview segment. He came out and said since his injury, he'd lost his girl, his car, and his house. It's like, he'd been out for four months. Like, did you have a downside guarantee? <laughs> Certainly not a faithful girlfriend. And Farouk appeared in the crowd with his crew, called Ahmed and Uncle Tom. Said he sent black people back 50 years. Ouch. And uh, Ahmed said, you're going down. Again? Repeatedly. <laughs> and that was um, that was about it for, uh, for In Your House. And... Uh, Two more notes. Um, they had this. They released an, an album, Full Metal, of theme songs, a trend that would continue for years, and uh, has dissipated as they just release single songs on iTunes, I believe. But they have this commercial where Freddie Blassie's in the studio. He's like, "Show me what you got, kid!" And this little kid starts imitating all the wrestlers, including doing Sean's dance, like with his shirt off. And I'm like, "Oh, what is?" And Freddie's like, "This makes me want to mosh." And I'm like, "Oh, I hope that's not a euphemism for something." So intensely creepy. And uh, our last note from the Observer: Hunter Hearst Helmsley's new theme song, which is the same song as the opening on NBC's Suddenly Susan television show. The last <laughs> no. It's Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. See what happens when you never miss Seinfeld, but never listen to the classics. I don't know what his point really was there, but um, there you go. Well, I think he had misidentified it solely as the theme from Seinfeld. <laughs> and then eagle-eared readers wrote it to be like, you know, Dave, 
going to have to have those <laughs> little talks with Dave so much back in 1996 as we do now, and we're like, Dave, that's just someone with A.J. Lee in their Twitter name. It doesn't mean it's A.J. Lee. <laughs> but the Dave, those Facebook relationships are, I mean, it's this weird thing, people are pretending to be them role-playing, but no, that, that doesn't mean that Alex Riley is now in a relationship with Caitlin. That's just... <laughs> It's just, I mean, the whole thing, Facebook.com, it was the Facebook.com. A lot of people, never mind, just forget Dave. Okay. Yeah. But the feedback is instantaneous now. You would have to actually write Dave a letter back then. Right. Or maybe the uh, the HS Meltzer at Juno.com email was in full effect. I'm, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But with Twitter and message boards and whatnot, he would, he would know right away. New website now, they're unstoppable. That's true. I haven't even checked this out yet. I'm going to have right on the air. And I'm making these jokes, but, I mean, I don't, I don't want it to be known that we have heat because clearly Dave Meltzer is still the best, the best guy at it. He is. This is true. It's the idiosyncrasies, and they're beautiful. They are. They're beautiful flaws. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look at this front page right now. Because I, I only access the, the board for all my information. That's how I access newsletters and whatnot. The front page holds little of interest for me. Let's see what we got here. Record low raw ratings. Timely. Uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, newsletters, editor picks. I also make sure the archive is uh, still working because that's very important there. Oh, Twitter feed on the side. All right. Yes, I yeah. like that they've taken their design from like all the generic websites that rip off their work. Yes. It's a list of articles with bullet points next to them. Uh oh, I click on newsletter archive. Website not found. Trouble. Whoops. Oh, well, this, this is the end of the 1990 <laughs> review. <laughs> I'm going to have to copy, uh, photocopy all these and mail them to you. Oh, okay. I'll include that missing December one. <laughs> yeah, there was a run in, like, 0102 uh, when, like, People's Observer Collections would be on the Electronic Bay website, and then me and my roommate... Michael, we just bought a bunch, and we're like, whoa, now we know everything. But um, now everyone has that information, so I no longer have the secret capabilities. That's Except for this one missing 1996 issue. Um, he's the one you went to a lucha show with, and uh, am I correct in this? That's right. He also com- compiled, I don't even know if it's still updated, the Dave Meltzer star rating site, which has probably been long since supplanted by people doing more comprehensive work. There you go. He's cool. Are you still in touch with your uh, college? We are in touch a lot, but I don't know if he'll ever listen to this. Hey, man. Yeah. That's his loss. I don't even. So that, uh, I mean, that's 1996 right there. Quite a year. We're seven years down, Justin. Three to go. So, yeah, three times, that's 12 more shows, though, huh? Yes. I'm trying to uh, to bump up the, uh, I'm going, my goal is to have the first uh, 1997 show be ready by December, give myself about three months. Mm. Although that is a, I mean, that's just a bonkers, because you have, you know, John losing his smile, mm. the ECW Raw, uh, you know, WrestleMania 13, and uh, just Shotgun Saturday Night, just Endless craziness, so uh, so we'll see. But that that's the plan. And uh, the 10th anniversary, we're about six, seven months away from that. Perhaps there are uh, plans in place. News to me, I'm available. <laughs> okay, that's good. I may need you for sure. I'll do that one as a courtesy for all you've done for my career. 
Well, you know, the, um... How long has the Justin Shapiro show been, uh... <clears throat> um, I first did one in late 2011, but I rarely did any after that. Then I sort of <laughs> semi-regularly did some since 2013. And the audio quality is unbearable to me, um, pretty much for all of them before this last one. Um, <laughs> and so... I'll probably have to go back and redub all my lines for all those shows, as well as all the shows I've done with you. So, um, yeah, we have some work to do, probably, because I'm going to need you to read your parts back to me so I can then react naturally. But then we should have a remastered collection of all my shows uh, with you and myself probably up in the next um, two to three, I'm hoping, weeks also. So we're going to get to work on that probably as soon as we sign off here. So your fifth anniversary will be coming up. You should start planning soon. Mm, well, that's just Especially it. guests and whatnot. It is our 10th anniversary, yours more than mine, by a lot. Um, names on the marquee, the big draw. Um, we have a great collabo relationship and some good lived-in chemistry. But, so we accomplished a lot. We invented podcasting and talking about, about movies <laughs> and uh, old wrestling that's not contemporary wrestling. And mm-hmm. then talking about it and being like, oh. Oh, can you imagine that that occurred? But we, like, I mean, speaking of Psylocke of the X-Men, they were, like, in reprints from issue 66 to somewhere in the 90s. And I feel like we were in reprints from, like, 07 to to 11, right? So if you subtract those years, it's only, like, our 6th or 7th anniversary, right? Well, you know, that's... We were around, you know. Oh, yeah. We were diversifying think, the brand. Yeah, I think, you know, it's existed for ten years. Mm-hmm. No one can so deny that. It's the anniversary of that show. Yes, the first one. Without me. I hope um, Meg is on your, uh, you finally meet up with Meg mm-hmm. on your fifth anniversary. There's a lot of dangling subplots. Um, I know I, I'm going to do a two-part episode with Todd Martin and Alan Cunahan, big names in this business, and then Ooh. I just haven't had the gumption to. I want to, and I will, I promise. So, really, what's uh, what's going on there? Is this uh, Observer Hall of Fame talk? Or? Well, yeah, because we typically do that, too, and so that'll be a weird responsibility for my dumb shit show to talk about <laughs> credentials and drawing power, but as I explained, I think there's been many complications with legal rights to things, and yeah. they dropped into me by default, so got to keep the trademarks and the patents by recording those shows. Uh, so I will, I guess. Okay. And it's cool, but it's just like, you know, mine is the weird show that says it's sponsored by ESPN.com. So, but okay, that's sure. <laughs> Let's talk about Yun Akiyama. <laughs> and, um, I, again, should be hopefully attending TLC in December, so you'll have... Oh, shoot. You're just piling work on my plate. Well, you know, <sighs> hopefully it's tired of here. Explosion. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm hoping we'll we ride. Hey, isn't this interesting? Remember how was it? The must have been the last show we did was when we asked um, demurely if people would just fill up your um, uh, Kickstarter or GoFundU to the uh, thing in Ohio. And all the nice people did it almost immediately. Yes. One person did it. I mean, they filled in the remainder oh, of what we needed. So. But still. It was still a groundswell. 
One person can swell the ground. Sure. So I am submitting my name for best box office draw. Came up, we said, Why not? can we can we have some of that money? And then we got it. So, <laughs> did it, done it, dude. All right, so that's going to uh, wrap it up for us. All right. I, um, Seven years down, three to go. Yeah, and ten years soon to come. Nine years down, ten upcoming. Yep, that's right. What a Can't wonderful wait. time. I mean, certainly there's time for sentiment and emotion when that comes, but, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait either, but uh, i got to watch the complete run of Shotgun Saturday Night first. Mm. All right, you can so... shotgun it, like, um, when the, like a funnel of all this stuff that comes from it. Ah. All right, so we will see you next time for 1997. What a, uh, what a time. Do you have any closing thoughts on 96? Transitional, um, and then it's sort of like, it is starting. You see all the, what's about to be there is there. So, I think we did say if you wanted to divide things, you could say that the Attitude Era started this year. It's just they didn't know yet. It had started, but they hadn't figured it out yet. People in place moving the pieces around. And um, the only other important thing I have to tell you is that I've stared at these Survivor Series names uh, since we did that, and all I've got is I have nothing for Triple H's heel team. And um, for the babyface team, I think I would call them the Sable guys. Is that okay? Sure. Not really. I'll uh, maybe I'll I'm gonna be bedeviled by this. So I apologize to you, and I've got more work to do. All right, and that's gonna do it for us. You can uh, follow Justin on Twitter at uh, jmshapiro.com mm-hmm. with a Y at the end, so that guy doesn't get upset at us. <laughs> Oops. He's getting entangled in stupid wrestler tweets. And, uh, yeah, look for the Justin Shapiro Show on the uh, the CubsFan.com network. Right. Along with Listen and Learn. Matt Forestine, I was last on Matt's show. Matt was on your show when you were on my show. So the circle of life is complete. Mm-hmm. We need to do a big performance review show where the Cubs fan <laughs> goes over all of our accomplishments and decide who he's going to continue to fund and who maybe gets the axe and who has room to improve. I see. Well, he has his own show, so who's going to uh, watch The Watchmen here? Oh, boy. That, it's um, the executive branch, the legislative branch, and uh, the Justin initial. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, I'm going to wrap it up. Justin, thank you again. Uh, yeah, a lot of fun. We'll see you hopefully in a little bit for 97. Till then, thanks for listening. I almost said a winner is you. <laughs> but uh, you know what? The winner is you. Me? Bye, everyone. Thank you. No problem.
Hey Joe, it's Justin. It's 12.32 in the morning and I have sat up straight in bed because I've been going over these Survivor Series teams and I think I've cracked them. So here they are submitted for your approval. Uh, so Team uh, Captain Vader versus Team Captain Flash Funk. That's going to be Big Clan Vader versus the Funky Bunch. Then you got the tag team one I've named Team Captain Doug Furness and Team Captain Owen Hart. You know, could be co-captains, but either way, we're going to call that the Household Furnace versus a League of Their Own. So that's done. And you move on to Bart's team versus Billy's team. Now yours were perfect, but just to contribute, I'm going to call this the Bart Foundation versus the Billy Club. Okay. So, use the good gun one, so I went the other way. Finally, you got uh, Team Mark Marrow versus Triple H's team, uh, pre-Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, and I'm going to call this the Maratroopers versus the Greenwich Mean team. Okay, so those are the names. I hope you have a great day. Goodbye.